I'm Craig James, and this is Big Audacious Idea, the show about thinking big and asking the greatest questions of the human experience. We also ponder the future and endeavor to foster abundant thinking during times of uncertainty. Welcome to the show. What if we could have human experiences more? More places? Well, we can. This is a thing called content-driven design. Life is integrated. We as humans crave connection. The big audacious idea we're discussing today is the notion of how the built environment can connect humanity and community and serve society in terms of social equity and progress. When we think of architecture, we think of structures and materials and placemaking. It's those things for sure, but it's much, much more at the heart. It's about moving human hearts through experiences, through those places and those structures. So architecture is a way bigger picture than you might think. And we'll discuss that today. We have the pleasure of welcoming Wendy Evans Joseph today. We chat with her from her studio in New York City. Well, at least she's there and I'm here in Cleveland. Wendy is an accomplished architect and founder of Studio Joseph. Studio Joseph has completed a diverse array of public, institutional, and cultural projects. Wendy's passion for art and museum culture and public education has inspired her to bring the world incredible projects that impart beauty to the eye, provide functional constructs for a community, and deliver energy and spirit unique to the world of architecture. Wendy, it's great to have you on the show. Thank you, Craig, and thank you for inviting me to be part of your podcast. I actually was thinking it was big, audacious ideas, and maybe that's just because I want to add to them, but I am inspired by your bravery, taking chances with new ideas, but also taking a chance in a conversation with me, and I admit this is my first podcast. Well, welcome twicefold to the world of podcasting course to the show. Thanks for your kind words. You know, the show is in fact about plural ideas and additively, even maybe more so inquiry. You know, the big questions we need to ask ourselves as a human experience, as a human experiment. And, you know, some of the things that we try to do here in the show is look at things from a different lens. So when we think about architecture, for example, it's not just about the thing, the structure and placemaking, but so much more. And I know you have a lot to share with us on that front. But first, just give us the quick one too on you. So I'm an architect, and many of you listening here today might know architects or have worked with them, but in short, we're licensed professionals, and most of my practice is building new buildings, restoring and renovating existing buildings for new uses, and preserving what uh, is very much our cultural heritage through working on historic landmarks. The other part of my practice is in exhibition design, where I work with museums on content-driven experiences for the public. The reason I'm here today is not necessarily to talk about what it is I do, but why I do it. My idea of why I do this is because I like to get beyond kind of problem solving and pragmatics and think more about the places we inhabit together. I could say how I got here, Craig. <laughs> It's a little bit of an unlikely place. In fact, I do have a question, Wendy. How did you get here? Yeah, so <laughs> it's never a linear path. But as you might remember, I did work the first part of my career in the office of IMPay, 
Pei, for those of you who might not be so familiar with him, is most famous for designing the pyramid at the Louvre in Paris. I had the opportunity there to work on big buildings, urban scale, tallest skyscraper in LA, federal courthouse. But I also worked on the United States Holocaust Memorial Museum in Washington, DC. And that museum experience with all its creative and emotional challenges had the most profound effect on me and the most enduring one because when I got to know the survivors and their stories and visited the concentration camps, it was frankly numbing. And I realized then that architecture is not new and that we had the power to inspire through design. So armed with that revelation, I quit working for day, founded my own studio, and this is 20 years ago, and have remained a small studio. We're about a dozen people ever since. You're inspiring now and 15 years ago when we met because your perspective is so broad and thoughtful. And in order to look at the now in a new way or look into the future in a new way, I think sometimes we have to look back in history. So help us look back for a minute. Tell us a little bit about your thoughts as you look in the rearview mirror as we contemplate the future. Good question. Good question now. I feel like, you know, when we think about history and it does make sense to just take a quick pause here to say that recent history has been incredibly difficult and you and I and everyone listening has endured great loss with COVID. But you take that loss of human life and you couple it with the murder of George Floyd and ongoing racism and all that's been going on and with the Black Lives Matter movement. And I can't help but feel like right now is the time for us to to look forward in the most sort of actionable way. If we are more aware and conscious and begging questions as we look back and forward, uh, share with us a little bit about the idea of place not being about physicality, but about gathering, about human voice and sharing with other humans one's voice. Uh, how does that work and how does that play in the world of architecture and placemaking? I'd like to share with you a little bit about a project that I worked on recently as a way to think a little bit more about history and about placemaking in the sense where people can sort of think about their own history. I was asked to design a new permanent exhibition for the National Museum of the American Indian in Washington, DC, an exhibition that would question our history, the history of the American culture and how we work with native peoples, how native peoples are kind of woven into the fabric of our country. And I learned from the curators there that what we choose to remember and what we choose to forget makes us who we are. So when people come to this museum of the American Indian, they look around at rugs and artifacts and regalia, and they buy a dream catcher. And when they leave, they essentially leave Indians at the door thinking they have no relevance in their lives. But the truth is that Native peoples are everywhere. Tomahawk missiles, Indian motorcycles, Navajo Barbie, really? 
endless spaghetti westerns, names of towns, the whole bit. So we created an exhibition that brings forward in a huge room all of these to sort of make a statement about what it is we think of of the Native peoples and how that is actually very relevant to who we are. Now, it's an example of a piece of history told in a different way that wakes us up, in fact, to the way that we all learned. And Craig, I don't know where you went to school, but I know that for a lot of us in America, we got these textbooks and those of you listening know what was in them. The same old stories told from the same point of view, the same voices, the same establishment take on, on what we understand. And in fact, there's all kinds of missing chapters. And who's missing from them? You know, the women's point of view, the, the black point of view, the other sides of every story. And I don't know, Craig, what you think, but I just feel like maybe there's a way to expand this knowledge. It's fascinating to contemplate our current understandings, our current thought processes, again, by looking at the now and looking at the past and not only asking questions. We always say, gee, what do we do now? Everything's changed. What's the future hold? Do you have a crystal ball? But we need to really ask the questions of what stories and tapes have we been told? And there's a concept that's pretty fascinating called spiral dynamics. I don't know if you know of spiral dynamics. It's a school of thought around consciousness, and it talks about our evolution of consciousness can evolve to, quote unquote, a higher level, but we don't lose aspects of our more rudimentary selves. And really, the great possibilities of humanity are at the higher part of the spiral, and there aren't a lot of folks that take the time to be at the higher part of the spiral to really look deeply about what in the world really is being told to us and to think for ourselves and not necessarily just accept what's been taught or told. So I think it takes a strength and a courage for us to challenge and not assume. And so it's amazing that we're having this discussion so thoughtfully about humans and society and equity, yet we're talking about place, architecture, and constructs. If I may, I had the privilege of seeing some of what you're speaking to in this exhibit. If you were to help our listeners through your words see that exhibit or aspects of it, uh, what would one see if they walked through it? Well, I think in that exhibit you would see stories retold from another point of view and a questioning. So, for example, think about the Battle of Little Bighorn. Who really won, ultimately? Yes, I mean, we know the story, but it's complicated, more complicated than it is really told. We also think about Thanksgiving, this insane holiday <laughs> with the whole nation in motion, you know, traveling around and sort of thinking about ideals. But I want to also talk more generally to what you're talking about with the spiral. And I love metaphors that are also physical. Maybe that's the architect in me. <laughs> this idea of making a place that's a spiral, that's sort of looking inward and inward and sort of, you know, the intensity of what that means when you're on a spiral. Because I know that people listening are also thinking about place these days. And what happens when we go back and look at history and we go to our physical environment and see how it's reflecting things that we either never believed in or don't want to believe in or no longer believe in? 
these are things like the monuments, monuments to people whose values we no longer share or reflect the standards of decency or justice. The question now is, what do we do? Do we just replace them with more static monuments to other people and things? Or do we do something different that's like an action? Do we engage in things that are sort of taking us forward and not static? I'd like to mention something else that I've been thinking about, which is how we can listen to the voices of everyday people, of all of us in the community, rather than just being spoken to all the time. I've been working with the MLK Public Library in Washington, D.C., and they've been looking very carefully at how the civil rights movement played out as a national movement through Martin Luther King and the best-known figures of that civil rights movement, but also through the actions of the local community. And so in a show that people expect to see, again, important documents, important stories about people, we also show things like the shoes of people who were at the march or their signs, their buttons, so that there's a back and forth. So that it's about the people as well as the, the sort of heroes of it. Everything has to come together, both of those. I'm Allison Holland, host of the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. Equipped with a microphone and a long-term fascination of the Kennedy family, I am joined by an incredible cast of experts, friends, and guests to take you on a fun, relaxed, yet informative journey through history and pop culture. From book references to fashion to philanthropy to our modern expectations of the presidency itself, you'll see that there is so much more to Kennedy than just JFK or conspiracy theories. Join me for the Kennedy Dynasty podcast. You have my mind expanding and my senses alerted. Um, when I think of architecture and place, I admit perhaps I've had a limited view, but I'm hearing when we think of these efforts, we're talking, I'm hearing concepts of dynamic versus static. I'm hearing interactive and engaged. I'm hearing storytell and moments of storytelling memorialized in ways we might not otherwise think. I think the big idea here is architecture is a much bigger picture than we might realize. And so is this, all these different elements, is this at the essence of what content-driven design is, or is there another definition for content-driven design? I think that that does come together to mean content-driven. The question is, what is the design part of it? And I think that in the design part of it, we want to create places that inspire people in different ways. Now that we're all in our houses practically all the time due to the COVID pandemic, we think, well, why are we getting out anyway? <laughs> like, what is our premise of social bonding? What do we gain from that? What brings us together? How do we share our humanity? I mean, I ask that of listeners, like, when you go out, what is the most important thing to you? What is it that you yearn for? Some people, it's culture and theater, a kind of a passive but inspiring experience. Some people, it's soccer and recreation and the fun and camaraderie. And, and of course, going back to school and, and that sort of tight framework, but it sort of expand your mind. So I think a lot about that. It's sort of like, well, what kind of a place do I want to make 
that brings people together, that offers a little bit of all, makes it all worth getting out. And I, I don't know, Craig, you tell me, here's my big idea for you. My big idea is that the most important place in a way in all of our lives has always been the kitchen table. So true. Think about everything that you do at the kitchen table. It's a, yeah, you eat, you do your homework, right? You play games, you invite your friends over. It's a messy place. It's never empty for sure. It's, it's a landing platform for everything that comes in and out of the house. I mean, my question is, Craig, tell me if I'm crazy here, but I, if, if somebody said to me, you know, what is your new dream job? Here's what I propose. I propose building kitchen tables, build a kitchen table in the hallway of your apartment building and invite everybody out of their apartments and go and have a meal together or, or build a kitchen table in an empty parking lot and allow anyone from the community to just sort of come in and sit down or, you know, it doesn't have to be in a park. Build them in unexpected places in sadly, you know, things that are no longer businesses on the ground floors and all our urban centers that have sadly, you know, been emptied. So think about the kitchen table, Craig. What would you do at your kitchen table growing up? I'm curious. Well, first of all, what would I do? Uh, and what we do do, my partner in life business, Sue, and I do spend a ton of time, even more so now at the kitchen table, literally. We work there, we eat there, we play there, we watch a movie there, we work while we prepare food. Sometimes I'm cleaning, sometimes she's working. You could argue, don't bring work into the kitchen or the kitchen table, but I think we're in an era now where our life is integrated. And if we can breathe in aspects of life in one place, I think it's a very powerful notion. A matter of fact, we know something's going on in us when we feel tingles. As you described this, I got tingles, literally a visceral reaction because we know in our hearts we're meant to connect and we're meant as social animals to be together and break bread together. And I wonder if your idea right now can take on a whole new form, almost in spite of COVID or maybe even because of our craving to connect is still there. And I wonder if the kitchen table can be a literal thing that's in the middle of a hallway as well as a metaphoric, symbolic idea all its own. Is there a way we can have kitchen table, even though we have these cameras and computers between us? And remember that the idea of breaking bread together is what it's all about. You got me thinking, no doubt about it. You know, you know are you familiar with the saying, um, best idea since sliced bread? Do you know that term, that cliche, right? Do you know that in fact, sliced bread was a lousy idea initially? No one thought it was a good idea. As a matter of fact, it took 18 years for that idea to take shape. Do you know why? So back when sliced bread was first invented, it was a horrible thing to slice your bread too early because there was no way to keep it fresh. It went bad faster because bread was either open in a box or in paper and it would spoil. But somebody had to have the vision that one day there will be plastic. And when that plastic is invented, it'll be a great idea to have sliced bread. That took Wonder Bread, and it took 18 years to happen. So I think the most brilliant ideas make little sense initially. And I'm not saying your idea doesn't make sense. I think we should force it not to make sense so that it could be even all the more 
powerful. So I love it. I, I, here's history happening right here on Big Audacious Idea. Well, I think your sliced bread metaphor brings up some other things besides the, the, the sad use of plastic. <laughs> but one thing it does bring up, if you ask people, what is the most wonderful smell? They always say the smell of baking bread, you know? I want to talk a little bit about that. Because when people think about architecture, and maybe not everyone, but they tend to think in terms of the physical or the visual, somewhat the spatial, but not in terms of other senses. And I would like to say that, in fact, the architecture that we strive for, this content-driven architecture that speaks to you, doesn't only speak to you in terms of its materiality, but it speaks to you in other ways. I would say that sort of ignite memories. And one thing is to think about the sound that a space makes. That's very different at different times, right? So it's not only a visual world that we live in. It's a multi-sensory world. And tactile is. So if I use smooth materials or coarse materials, things that are shiny, things that are translucent or, or opaque, they all have an effect. So I just want you to remember that. Keep that in your toolkit for how you think about the world going forward. Ed has been placed in the toolkit for sure, and you've spawned a thought. I wonder if what we're talking about here can be replicated in a digital fashion in some way. Is it just not possible, right? Because one of our guests is a conductor, Wilson Hermanto, and he said that so often we think of music as the music, but it's the venue and what you smell and the energy of people and the lighting. And it's not just that one thing. And so we were talking about how do you possibly digitize that or replicate that through these things? Is it possible? It's probably possible. I have to say that's where my architect comes through. I think it's possible. In some ways, the virtual world is very democratic because it does allow everyone to be somewhere that they might not always have access to. And access is power. So there are a lot of places that do not feel welcoming to people or that not everyone is able to get to for different reasons. They're not able to get there at a certain time or a certain place. Mm -hmm. So it can be that access is a divider and it can be discriminatory. There is in some ways great equity to this idea of being able to join virtually with everyone. And there is a certain level of experience that you can have because of that. And people have been kind of eating away at the edges of that over the last six months. Yes, we've learned to work. As an architect and as a creator, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. And in fact, we've done things that I have to say are much more low tech than we used to because I'm doing more hand sketching than I ever did and using that. But ultimately, I don't believe that there's a way to replace human contact. And it's nice to have this array of possibilities, but human contact is for me the gold standard, being together and experiencing places together is, I think, you know, the ultimate goal, whether it be different countries, different cultures. It's not just enough to even know the people from there, but to visit and to be part of different places. And through that, I think you develop empathy 
you develop stronger bonds to all. And that, that benefits us as sort of aspect of humanity. Wendy, you're so apparently passionate. It comes through the way you move into your statements and the emphasis, both visually and audibly. It's, it's impressive indeed. And my only frustration in talking with you is time. There's so much more we could discuss. And as we round out our conversation today, if you were to think through the future, imagine forth and engage our listeners right now in some things you challenge them to think or do or ask of oneself or each other, what might those things be? I would say to everyone to concentrate on your most personal ambition, I would say, your most personal gift, the thing that you can give back to all of us. This is the time to be doing that. Think about what it is that you have the ability to do, whether it's just to listen to others or to help others in different ways. That's what you should search for. What I like about the question that you pose about ideas is it very much for me is a mirror on my favorite thing to do in life, which is to have a blank piece of paper and to try to imagine something new and respond to that. And I like that you're putting that blank piece of paper in front of everyone. And I think that's a really laudable and exciting proposal. So I want to thank you for that opportunity to sort of shove another blank piece of paper in front of me and say, what if, and shove a piece of paper in front of your, all your audience and say, what if, what can you do? So thank you very much. And thank you, Wendy. We've been speaking with Wendy Evans-Joseph. I'm Craig James, your host, and this is Big Audacious Idea. So we need to tune into our perceptions, our assumptions, our stories, the stories we tell ourselves and the stories we're told, and being conscious of, at the end of the day, when we think of places, spaces, architecture, and design, that it's about connection, just like the kitchen table. Whether that's metaphoric or real, we need to come together, break bread, and connect through content-driven design. I'm Craig James, your host, and you've been listening to Big Audacious Idea, the show that invites you to think big. Let us know what you think about our chat with Wendy by tweeting me at cjamescatstrat. And if you enjoyed the conversation today, don't hesitate to Please rate and review us in your favorite podcast app. It goes a long way, and we appreciate it. Big Audacious Idea is a production of Evergreen Podcasts. Learn more about our podcasts at evergreenpodcasts.com. Special thanks to my friend and colleague, producer, audio engineer, William Pritz, production director, Bridget Coyne, and my co-executive producer, Michael D'Aloya. Thanks for listening. Until next time, just don't think audacious, be audacious. Thanks again. Hi, I'm Emma. And I'm Joe. And, and we're, we're the, the Professional, professional Book, Book Nerds. Nerds. Two Mondays a month, we interview authors and talk about their upcoming books, what drives them, and their go-to order at the cafe. On Thursdays, we share recommendations and dive into topics readers face, like how do I actually read the books on my to-be-read list? 
You can find the Professional Book Nerds podcast on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or wherever you get your podcasts. Want to learn more about us? Our website is professionalbooknerds.com, and you can find us on Instagram, Twitter, and TikTok at ProBookNerds. We hope you'll come and listen, and as always, happy happy reading. reading! This podcast was produced with the support of the Ohio Motion Picture Tax Credit and in partnership with the Ohio Development Services Agency.